0: Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, who brings us divine comfort today. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia and amen. Here's a portion of our text. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So far, our text Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. This is true, it is a fact of history. It is well recorded, it is well documented. Witnesses of the resurrection abound in the sacred scriptures. And there are as corroborating speeches and works outside of the scriptures that say Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Those witnesses of the resurrection died, giving the testimony that they had seen Jesus, who had died, alive again. The hundreds of eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus should not be balked at. How many events in ancient history have hundreds of witnesses? Some events in history that we regard as undeniable historical truth have maybe one or two. Yet the risen Christ has many. It is the most believable teaching of the Bible. You set aside all the doctrines that we hold as eternally true, that one stands above, and that is that Jesus has risen from the dead. You cannot prove that God is triune outside of the sacred scriptures, nor can you prove things like the eternal election of the saints, the justification of the sinner, nor can you prove things like the real presence of the body and blood of Jesus in the Lord's Supper, or the giving of the Holy Spirit and baptism. Any of these are articles of faith that we derive only in scripture. They're taught exclusively in the Bible, yet the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead stands as the most provable and most believable thing that the scriptures teach us. The witnesses, the documentation, the historic repercussions all testify Jesus is alive. And yet there are those who do not believe it. Probably the most convincing aspect that leads to the truth that the resurrection is a historical event is that when we read the Gospels, especially this morning, the very disciples of Jesus who died confessing the resurrection were not easy to convince at first. The disciples did not believe until they had seen Christ in the flesh. We have the case we'll read about next week, St. Thomas and his doubts. The other disciples were hard to convince too. They did not receive the message from the angels at the tomb as it was repeated to them by the women, and neither did the women who went to the tomb at first Easter day. The angel tells them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him, just as he told you. And you know what the text says right after that? They fled in fear, and they didn't say anything to anyone. You see the discrepancy here. The angel says, go and tell them Christ is risen. And then we see fear and silence as they leave the tomb. Fear drove them into a short period of time of unbelief. And why is that? Well, even when the truth of the resurrection was proclaimed to them by angelic witnesses, they found the message of the resurrection to be implausible. And unbelievable. They had the words and the promises. They had heard of Jesus saying that he was going to rise from the dead. Jesus had announced multiple times that he was going to Jerusalem where he was going to be arrested, tried, and crucified, and after three days rise. After the transfiguration, Jesus told the three disciples who were with him on the mountain, not to say anything to anyone about what they witnessed, but as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them not to tell anyone that they had seen what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And when they hear that, what do they say? They kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising of the dead might mean. It just simply did not compute that Jesus was going to die and then rise. They simply could not conceive of something so dramatic and wonderful as Jesus coming back from the dead. And so, that really is the scandal of Easter. They could grasp the concept of rising, or they could not grasp the concept of rising, because, well, it's hard to grasp his death. This is what led St. Peter to rebuke Jesus after he predicted his passion, by the way. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this plainly, the scriptures say, but then Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. But seeing and turning the other recycles, Jesus rebukes Peter and says, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. You see, this whole thing, the whole idea of Jesus dying was awful to them because they believed that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. They believed that he was without sin. They believed he was God's own Son. That's what Peter literally says to Jesus before he predicts his passion. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then they couldn't compute how death could touch that one. The woman at the tomb Knew that Jesus was no sinner. And then their heart was pierced as they stood at the foot of the cross and watched him die. They watched his lifeless body be taken down from the cross. They came to the tomb that day expecting to find a dead Lord and Savior. And now that they're met by an angel in an empty tomb, everything just stops making sense. It becomes unbelievable. As they hear the message of the angel, and what do they do? They flee in fear. Yet all of these unbelievable and offensive and strange and scandalous things happened. They had to happen. This is God's plan from the beginning that they had to happen. The innocent Lord of all bears the sins of the world. The real thing that should be shocking that has become ordinary to us is that people die. The real thing that happens, that we experience, that we see, that we expect, is death. And that's because we die as sinners. That was not the case at the beginning. Adam and Eve were not created for death. God did not create man for death, but for life. They were sinless. They bore the image of God. They lived in the holy splendor and the peace of Eden. The sinless man and the woman lived in harmony with each other and with god it was perfect and then they fell and because of this death has entered the creation romans teaches therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all have sinned that means that everyone is given over to death this is the curse that sin brings This is what makes the gospel so wonderful, because Jesus comes to bear that curse. He takes it away from you. Isaiah says, Surely he's borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Galatians teaches, Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming uh, a curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, "Curses everyone who's hung on a tree." And that's why Jesus comes. That's why this thing that, that, that doesn't compute, that makes no sense, happens. He comes to bear our sin and our death for us. He sheds his blood as a propitiation or an atonement for the sins of the world. And so God made his son into a curse. He gives him all the sins. They're all placed upon him. He stands in the place of every sinner making complete atonement for every single one of them. And as he does this, he renders you righteous. As the scriptures teach forth, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so we go from cursed sinners deserving death to forgiven sinners who are free from the curse. And the result is life. That's what Christ's resurrection gives us. It's life. Real life. It proves that sinners are justified. As Paul says, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And so sinners are forgiven so that they might live. So the reason that the women at the tomb were afraid... And we're unable to believe in the angel's message that Christ is risen, it's the same reason that any other biblical teaching goes unheeded. Our sin blinds us. God takes our sins away, though. And the reason the women did not say anything to anyone was fear. And fear is what sin creates in us fear of death, fear of judgment fear of the world's hatred, fear of losing what you think is important in this life, unholy fear of God. Well, what does the forgiveness forgiveness of sins do for you? It removes the fear. It takes it away. There is nothing to fear when God has already removed your greatest adversary, sin no longer has a hold on us, and if God no longer holds our sins against us, what's there to be afraid of? If death does not hold the Christian forever, what's there to be afraid of? Sin brings death, but the forgiveness of sins brings life. Because just as Christ has risen from the dead, so will everyone who clings to him. What's truly sad As there are many who say, no, I deny it all. I don't want that forgiveness. They're stuck in a living death because they don't have the forgiveness of sins that's freely won for them by Jesus. And rather than find comfort in Christ, they find comfort in other things. They look to their earthly pleasures. They look to their comfort, their status, their wealth, their reputation. They reject what had been won for them by Jesus, who has died and risen from the dead. And why? Well, because they're blinded to the truth. They cannot grasp the forgiveness of sins as something they need. And it's because their hearts are so darkened by sin, is that sin is all they hope for. The devil has so confused and deluded so many poor souls into thinking that this sinful and frail life is the best that we can get. And so we cling to it with desperation. We hold our sins sacred, so that we might view the gospel of Jesus with contempt or at least indifference. And so hearts are hardened to the gospel of life because people can't imagine life apart from their dead works. Dear Christians, this is not who you are called to be. This is not who you are. You are those who have faith in the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And that faith changes who you are. And so you're not bound to the darkness of dead works. But you're free. You're free to live in repentance. You're free to live life to the fullest in the gospel of Christ. As St. Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of your minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is within them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be removed in the spirit of your minds, to put, off the, put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And so there are things that are worked in us through the resurrection of Jesus. The first is that, hey, we have that eternal victory. We have the power over sin and death. There is now no condemnation against us because we are reconciled to God. The wages of sin has fully been paid on our behalf, and so we will rise from the grave to everlasting life. This is the future promise that we have in the resurrection. We look forward to the life of the world to come. The second thing that is born in us today as we live in the resurrection is repentance and trust in Christ that's worked out among the faithful. It is the life that is centered upon the washing of regeneration and the renewal of Holy Spirit that we have as those who are called by the resurrection of Jesus. Perhaps maybe we best describe that as living in our baptism because to be regenerated means to be remade, recreated, reborn, and that means that we're made into something new. St. Paul talks about this. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? But do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism in the death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. To be regenerated... It's for God to work daily repentance in us. It's to crush the old sinner that dwells within us, to drown it in the gift of our baptism, and to wake up every morning reborn in the promise of the resurrection that our sins are forgiven. He's making all things new, and that remaking begins in your heart as he changes us so that we no longer cling to darkness or death and sin, but we trust in the living Christ. This repentance is worked when the gospel is preached. Faith comes by hearing. And that's what you need. And so we all need to think about life in terms of our faith in Christ today. And so maybe we need to consider if we attend church, if we engage in Bible study, if we fellowship with other Christians regularly, do we cry out to God? In prayer, are we regularly living in repentance to examine our lives and how we stand before God? It's almost predictably certain that if we are alienating ourselves from the Word, if we're alienating ourselves from the teachings, the prayers, the fellowships of the church, when testing and temptation comes, when trouble comes into our life our faith will struggle. It may die. It all boils down, though, to what's in your heart. What have you been given to love? You will devote yourself to the things that you love. You'll find comfort in them. If what you love and devote your time and your energy is to your flesh, your passion, your personal pleasure... Well, that's what you're going to flee to in the day of trouble. You're going to flee to that thing that brings you that immediate snap of joy. And if you love Christ, if you dwell in and with Christ, if you hold the gospel of Christ and his resurrection to be sacred, well, you will cast off the deeds of the flesh and rest in Jesus. You can love the wrong things, and you can be loved. By Jesus. And so to live in the fruits of the resurrection is to live in repentance. And that means that we repent of everything that's a product of the loves of my sinful heart. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be anything from lust to adultery to greed to gossip to selfishness to pride to gluttony to apathy or laziness or hatred. All of these things well up from our sinful hearts. All of these things pop up in our lives. Our old Adam desires these things and loves these things and cherishes these things. And yet we are called to flee from these things. We are called to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And that means that when these things produce themselves in our lives, we flee from them into the grace of Jesus. We reject what destroys us and we embrace what saves us with sin there's only death but with christ there's only life jesus has risen from the dead we come to where the forgiveness of sins is proved time and time and time again for us and that's where the old adam is put to an end so that we walk in holiness before god don't live in fear Don't live in fear of what your flesh produces in your life. Don't live in fear of your sin. What causes a person to rejoice in the resurrection? What gives us faith in this magnificent event? Well, it's seeing Jesus. It's knowing that his death and his resurrection have been won for us. That's what the women who visited the tomb believed after they saw Jesus, by the way. Maybe the best example of this is Mary Magdalene. She returned to the tomb and wept. After they had seen the angel, after they had seen the empty tomb, they had ran to the disciples and said, somebody's taken the Lord. And maybe the best example we see with Mary is that she returns to the tomb, she weeps. Peter and John see the empty tomb. They go back home. They don't know what's going on. But it's not until she saw Jesus that she realized what happened. That's what made the message of the angel clear to her. It's what caused her to be freed from her tears and her sadness and her fear, and it filled her with the true joy of the resurrection of Jesus. She wept out at the tomb. Jesus comes up to her, right? And this is what we read earlier in uh, our 630 service for all you early birds, but listen to this. It says, "'Woman, why are you weeping? "'Whom are you seeking?' And Mary, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. And so, what do we have here? How do we see Jesus so that we might believe in the resurrection? What prevents us from being blinded by our own sin and fear so that we live in darkness and our our hearts are hardened? The women simply did as all of us would have done in the circumstances. As they flee in fear and exasperation, not knowing what's going on, we would have done the same. But we have something they don't have. You have the testimony of the scriptures fulfilled in your midst that declare that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We hear what they saw. You have the assembled accounts of the witnesses who declare Christ is alive. And that changes everything. That changes who you are. It changes what you love. As you are no longer bound by your sin, you do not have to keep walking in life as if you're blind and you're dead. Because you have been made to see Jesus through the word of the gospel. And he is alive. He is not dead. If you are trapped in a sin that you see no way out of, repent. Today's the day. Now is the time. If you are engaged in an addiction, if your life is filled with adulterous behavior, if you're captivated by anger and misery, if you have been stuck in a cycle of laziness that you cannot break, if you've been negligent in the worship of your Lord Jesus, if you are afraid to live your life apart from the passions of your sinful flesh, or you are filled with every shameful vice that you have in this life, take courage. Confess your sins to Jesus. Repent of them, knowing that Christ has died to take your sins away. Christ is our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So turn away from it, repent of it, flee from it, and rest in the risen Christ. You do not have to harden your heart. Christ is risen from the dead. What are you afraid of? The deeds of our sinful flesh are death, sin's what kills. But Jesus did not rise so that we might dwell in death but that we might rejoice in eternal life and so we live in that life we live in that life every time our sins are forgiven us we live in that life every time we're comforted in our consciences and in our hearts knowing that Christ has died and risen for me to take my sin away to give me life we We, as the scriptures teach, consider ourselves dead to our sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, because you are now more than conquerors in Jesus Christ, your Lord. Christ is working for those who rest in his promises. So as you dwell in him, your life can be filled with joy. Your life can be filled with comfort beyond measure. And that is because you have a life that extends beyond all the false joys and the false pleasures and the blindness and the veils of our old life and our old self. It is the promise of eternal life, an everlasting heritage with God in heaven where there is no sin, but only the praise of him who died and rose for our forgiveness, life, and salvation. So cast off the old fear. Cast out the old fear doubt. Jesus lives. You have the victory. He's won it for you. And so there are witnesses who stand before us urging us to rejoice in this true and beautiful gift from God as we hear the voice of the angel saying, he is not here, he is risen. See the place where he laid him. We hear that message and we believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hallelujah Christ is risen He is risen alleluia. Amen and hallelujah we rise